Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We got ourselves an X-Men fan. Maybe a quarter of it happened. And not like this. In the real world, people die. Logan. I don't want to talk about it. Logan. Just stop. Be careful. I need the girl. What girl? Rick, go get her. 
No. No. You still have time. Holy cow, it's another film board from the next reel on Rashpixel.fm. We take on new movies released in your local theater, and we are back and reassembled with a gang of thugs not six days removed from our last film board to cut up and spoil the new angry and angsty delinquent cousin of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We all watched Logan this week, and I think I'm still reeling from the taste of blood. This week, we've shuffled our deck a little bit to freshen up the spoilage, so let me introduce you to tonight's hosts, uh, our own, this first father figure for this show. Hello, Pete Wright. I'm like you. I'm very much like you. (laughs) And then we have the celebrated master of deep cuts, Steve Sarmento. (laughs) It's good to be back. And we're going to go back to the well another week here with special guest host Darnell Smith. Hello. Hello. Are we doing Patrick Stewart impersonations? (laughs) The line must be drawn here. No further. (laughs) I don't know, but they're really good. I need to reintroduce you all as Patrick Stewart. Darnell, would you call yourself a Pulp Fiction fanatic? And I'm not talking about the movie, but the genre in particular. You know, I I wouldn't call myself that, but I, I think... I think pulpy stories really speak to me. Um, go, like going back to like Flash Gordon, but not like the old version of Flash Gordon, like the '80s Flash Gordon, Big Trouble in Little China, like all oh, yeah. all those sorts of adventure kind of crazy stories with saving damsels and mustache twirling villains. That all speaks to me. So. I, I would say yes, you know, because yeah, right I think so. Yeah, I was trying to kind of put it in a little box there, but I think this one is going to be a good one Absolutely. for you. Absolutely. Uh, oh, boy. All you folks hanging out uh, with us at home should remember to check out the fun facts about this show and its sibling shows at thenextreel.com. Go subscribe to us in your favorite podcast app and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. If this is your first time checking in with us, look back through our show feed for loads of content about hundreds, and I mean literally hundreds of films. Find your favorites and tell us how you like the show. And after that, tell a friend because we like your friends too. Okay, let's uh, claw our way into Logan, gentlemen. Initial thoughts, Pete. Pete, I want to start off with a hypothetical. Uh, is there, which is the bigger movie parent mistake? This one, Logan or Kingsman? Oh, Kingsman. Yeah, I, I still think Kingsman. You know, <laughs> really? What? Yeah, because this one was this one was great, but predictable violence. Like you know, it's you know what you're gonna get. And Kingsman uh, was was uh, let's just say it was creative. Uh, in in the violence and and of course there was that last line that I had to end up explaining to my eleven year old. So, I uh, you know there there are there are reasons. But you didn't bring your eleven year old. I did, alas, I I did not. I I brought you. Uh, and so <laughs> I I have to tell you my initial thoughts. I the movie the first uh, the first two acts of the movie gave me exactly what I wanted. The third act gave me less than what I wanted, but still wasn't terrible. So I walked away feeling pretty darn good about this movie. Well, that's good. Um, Steve, you did uh, bring. Uh, a, a child to this movie, right? <laughs> okay. Well, she's 14 years old, and so she presented strong counter arguments to the reasons it was rated R. Because I looked on oh. IMDb to find out why it was rated R, and I said, "Well, it yeah. says there's some nudity. It said, that, you know, there's a scene where this woman pulls down her top." She said, "Dad, I've got boobs. I see boobs all the time." <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new for me. I said, okay, well, the other issue is, you know, says lots of bloody violence. And she looked at me and said, Dad, every month. 
Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I can't argue with you that. Got, you I can't dominated. argue with that. <laughs> exactly. So we went. Uh, we both had a really good time. She cried three times during the movie, and oh. I really enjoyed what I'm considering sort of a 21st century Western here. It was very enjoyable. Oh, that's cool. I want to talk about that a little bit too. Uh, that's I hadn't really thought about it that way. So that's that's really interesting. Uh, Darnell, we are fathers of boys, so I don't know that it's, uh, it's as much of a concern, especially since yours has grown. But um, it's kind of the the type of movie that we were talking about before, right? How did you feel about it? Uh, yeah, I agree. Where I really loved it. Kind of along those lines, though, when I was watching the film. I, I just got LASIK surgery and my doctor was like, put artificial tears in. And at certain points in the movie, I was like, oh, no, he didn't say anything about real tears. So I had to <laughs> I just stifle a cry, stifle a cry. And at the very end of the film, the person sitting next to me starts sobbing. And of course, that makes me tear up a little bit. And I look over and it was an 11-year-old girl wearing an oversized Marvel ball cap. And, and oh. her dad is holding her and she's just sobbing in this film. And so I, I wish I could emote like her openly in public because this film was the perfect elegy for these characters. It's a good way. If, if you're going to go out swinging, this is a good way for Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart to, to end this 18 year run with these characters. I loved it. That's that's awesome. And I think, you know, for me, I think, Pete, what you brought up about the different acts is interesting for me. The first couple acts were definitely a departure from what we've seen, even from this this separate, somewhat separate from the Marvel cin- Cinematic Universe. And I think for me, the pacing was a little off, um, but only because I wasn't ready for it. I don't think it hindered the movie in any way. I think it made it different. And that's something that was difficult for me to accept. I think it's really interesting that we're talking about how this movie um, is effective or scary or difficult for children. And and there may be a thing to talk about in the difference between um, girls and boys watching this movie and uh, the comic book nature of it, especially because of the relationship they're, they're putting on there. In general, I thought it was a really strong film uh, and a really strong choice. So I think I kind of want to start there um, with the idea of the hard R. And um, Pete mentioned that he and I walked into this movie together and I, one of the big things that I was coming to the movie with was everybody talked about that this was going to be a hard R movie, and I wanted to make sure that they did that. And boy, did they. Um, this was bloody. It even made me feel like a Tarantino movie. Um, Darnell, you said there was an 11-year-old girl nearby. Um, did that hit you strange at all, the gore, the graphic nature of the film? It, it did a little bit. Um, yeah, my first thought was like, oh, this adorable little girl. My second thought was like, Oh my God! There was kids <laughs> slaughtering other uh, adults in this film, and and I mean it was incredibly graphic. But I tell you what, like it felt right for the first time for this character. I felt like I've always felt, even going back to the original X Men, and and I remember a scene in X Two where Wolverine fights off a bunch of people who invade the mansion, and it was just like, oh, this is an R rated character sitting in a PG thirteen movie, so. Yeah. God, it felt it just it finally felt right for him to, you know, to swear and to slice people's faces off. And, and <laughs> it, you know, I liked it that way. But yes, it's definitely not for the, the child Marvel fans. 
I, I absolutely had that feeling as soon, you know, and I thought specifically back to X2 when he uh, sort of pinions that guy against the freezer, right? That's the sequence that I I find most exhilarating. And that's what makes X2 the better movie for me is that I feel like we get a hint of who Logan needs to be in the series. And and this movie absolutely capitalized on that. And so I, I kind of walked out re- with a regret. Like, to your point, this is a beautiful uh, cap to this 18-year relationship we've had with these characters. And yet, I, my regret is I wish we could have gotten this one earlier. Why why didn't we get Deadpool six years ago, uh, you know, so we could really explore who Logan is uh, as a result? I mean, I, I see these as directly linked, right, as, the you know, one begets the other. And so, um, yeah, I'm right with you this is this is the logan i've wanted all along and it's why the two act the first two acts work so well for me that's cool steve you mentioned that your daughter had these reasons why it's okay did you feel like it was okay you know i think with this one in terms of the violence you know we talked about it when we got out of it about how you know sort of bloody and gory it was and for her actually it was i think one of the first i think it's the first r-rated movie she's seen for her it was really about the swearing that was really you know sort of shocking because she said okay you know a couple times she's like but then like the ninth or tenth time she's like really is that is that necessary but then she she said she thought about it you know and and, you know logan is this character she said you know he he drinks a lot and he's got a lot of rage and anger and that's that makes sense for that character so for her it was i think it was that was the shocking thing about it was just the swearing it's not something she's you know exposed to a lot although she's in high school i'm sure she's heard it a lot but i think it was i think perhaps it was Patrick Stewart swearing because she's you know grown up with him as Jean-Luc Picard who does not swear um in terms of the violence she said well you know I haven't seen the hateful eight or the revenant or anything so she's she's figuring those are probably worse and bloodier um she's involved in theater at school so she's does a lot of makeup so for her she often sort of switches into analytical mode so there's for example the scene where he's uh He's at the doctor and you see that he his sort of abdomen is just totally, you know, just torn apart. And she looked at that as sort of like, okay, the prosthetics for that, how would I do that? So for her, she was able to sort of take herself into the analytical movie maker side of that to say, okay, this isn't real. You know, let's think about that. But there was definitely a lot of oohs and ahs as we were getting, you know, you know, claws through skulls through several scenes of it, it was hitting her on a very visceral level, I think, but not to the extent where I think it was um, gratuitous. I think she saw it in the sense of here's a person. And, and, you know, we had a very interesting discussion about uh, one of the other characters. And, you know, we can start started jumping into the story here when he fights um, X-24. Um and she said for her that was a very upsetting scene because she sees Logan fighting basically the younger version of himself, the version that's you know fueled by rage and violence. And to see him battling that, she took that as sort of this internal struggle of the older Logan battling his younger self and who he's become. And for her, she said that was more disturbing on the fact of his own personal struggles of having to be confronted with his own flaws um, because there's some brutal violence in those fight scenes, but it wasn't so much about the violence, but of the fact of this character struggling against himself and what the battle that was going on internally, which I thought, I, I guess I'm doing a good job of parenting because <laughs> we're, we're analyzing things at, at this level. Right. Um, so it, it wasn't, 
Yeah, it wasn't anything that was, you know, disturbing or shocking to her that she's expressed to me. Um, we did talk a lot about it before and after, but, you know, I think it the, a lot of the violence fits with what's going on in this story. That's why I say it is a, a 21st century Western. There's, a, you know, there's a lot of fighting going on, but I think it's, it's I guess to say, justified within the context of the story and the conflicts that the characters are facing. Well, yeah, and those actually sound like story points to me rather than sort of, like you say, the gratuitous graphic nature of it, which kind of goes back to what you were, you were saying, Pete, in that um, that this is the movie that kind of needed to be made. We, I think we all kind of felt the same way about Deadpool when it came out, as it's a departure from the, the sort of regular menu that we were being handed from comic book movies for a long time. Um, we talk about we've talked about on the show before how DC tends to trend to the dark or try to create a dark universe. Um, and you know, I'll admit my bias freely here that I'm a big Marvel kid uh, as opposed to a DC kid growing up. And I like this brand of darkness better than what's been going on in the DC universe because I think this is more creatively done. Um, and again, I, you know, I, I love Deadpool and I like what they're doing here because I think they're embracing the characters and what they're meant to do. It, it feels in concert with what was originally in the source material. And so what I hear you saying, Pete, and what I, what I think is, is the direction here is that they're trying to, with this new mutant cinematic universe, if it's separate from the Marvel cinematic universe, create something that's different and, and really take a look at the different ways that they can, uh, they can make a comic book movie and make it special, making it like a Western, like you're talking about, Steve. So I think that's that's interesting. Uh, what did you guys think about that in terms of uh, the departure and how it differs from other comics out there? Well, you know, I, I, I agree with that sentiment. I think uh, one of the things they do well is, that, you know, this is, this is R-rated because this character lends itself to it. Like Deadpool lends itself to it. And going back to that analogy, you know, when they make a dark and gritty Superman, it's like, well, that doesn't work because Superman is sunny and happy and and full of hope. And so I, I think that this worked for uh, the R-rated feel really worked because this is a uh, it, it wasn't quite post-apocalyptic, but it was just a version of America, which sadly feels a little too familiar, but also is just a little dark and grim. It's a version of America where you do want to just drink whiskey and curse a lot and forget about your troubles. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, in reading on the sort of definition of where this is coming from, the source material, um, the Old Man Logan series, this is the first time I think in the Marvel movies that we're getting what, what was originally seen as an alternative universe or an alternative timeline. Did any of you guys actually read the Old Man Logan books? It's funny, I'm reading it right now in prep for this movie. Like around Christmas time, Marvel had a huge sale. So I bought up a bunch of Old Man Logan. And this this is very loosely based on that. Old Man Logan is insane. Um, I mean, there are like hillbilly Hulk uh, children and all sorts of crazy things. But, but um, it has that same ultra-violent feel as well as that same exhausted Logan. And, and I think this movie... Uh, I think there those those similarities are, are really well done or and really well matched and it's it's a good thing to see that on screen. Yeah, I I definitely I've seen some panels from the book and it looks graphic and gory as well. So that's kind of, you know, if if it's taken and even if it's just loosely based in adaptation, I think that uh the, what they've done with the script here and what they've done with the story and even how the film was directed, it was it was 
definitely embracing that and taking that on there. So uh, in terms of the direction, James Mangold, uh, how did you guys feel about what he brought to the to the show here? I think about the other stuff that I know of of Mangold, and and uh, I I find myself sort of um, going back and forth between being sort of perplexed, uh, you know, when I think about Girl Interrupted, and uh, baffled when I think about Wolverine, you know, and yet at the same time, I look at something like Walk the Line and I think, you know, there's an interesting sort of Western vibe to um, to, to the way he approached these two movies. And I see, honestly, more sort of character similarities between Logan and Walk the Line uh, than I do between Logan and the Wolverine, which I think is pretty telling. Well, and that's what I was going to ask. I guess this is the first time for us to bring that up here in the show is that he directed the Wolverine too. And I feel like these characters, you know, we brought up the idea of this possibly being an alternative universe, but it doesn't really feel the same. It feels a lot different, even from a film perspective. Uh, I don't see a whole lot of connection between these two movies. Well, you know, I feel like the Wolverine wanted to be, like they got to do with Logan what they want to do with with the Wolverine. But, you know, the studio at the time, they were like, we we don't do R-rated. But I, I really felt like Mangold and, and Hugh Jackman were trying to go for something a little tougher. You know, and they were doing it in different ways. Like, hey, uh, Hugh Jackman, like, get really jacked. And, you know, and we'll kind of have a little sex scene. It'd kind of be a little dark. But then at the end of the day, they just didn't go far enough. And we got a really mediocre film. So it was nice to see them be able to do a do-over. My biggest worry going into this film was that they we would get another sort of the Wolverine and there would be like a, a big CGI fight at the end. And I'm really glad that this was was really grounded and very, uh, very character based going into like Walk the Line or, or Girl Interrupted. They really went character first, plot second. There's a lot of plot points where you're like, I, I don't even know what happened or how we got to this point. And it kind of doesn't matter because I just I really care about how. Uh, Xavier and Logan are feeling right now. That gets right to the point about about how the film opens, right? I mean, there is no direct connection to, you know, Logan of past and Logan of 2029. He's just passed out in the back of his car, uh, of his limo, and that is, uh, that's all you get. And and I found that actually surprisingly gratifying, and yet another sign that that Marvel is sort of wrapping their heads around we can make superhero movies that are uh, that are a different vibe. You know, it goes back to Winter Soldier and how much that was that was such a great sort of uh, spy thriller um, in, in this year. And this, you know, here we have a, a great sort of western. You know, it's uh, um, I, I think that's that's telling. Uh, it's interesting when you go back. I, I don't want to belabor the DC comparison too much because Lord knows we've done that too much on the show as is but but you know we we have trouble with superman as a dark you know as a dark film because superman the character doesn't lend himself to being quite so dark but batman is arguably the darkest of the dark and they screwed that up uh (laughs) so uh, so i think that's interesting and and i'm the one who was bullish on on batman i think i liked it of of the all of us probably the most and and i I still wasn't that crazy about it so um you know i think that's that's interesting and i think it this film logan in particular really highlights the the difference in approaches probably more than any other film we've seen to date well now wait now you said that uh, marvel's behind this are is are these not fox movies well this is also a marvel movie well marvel now has has interesting ip rights to all of the characters correct but at one point 
it wasn't that way, and all of the by mutants Fox. were held by Fox. Right. The reason why I ask is because of the point that Darnell made about, you know, I, I was going to ask if we're comfortable calling this a do-over because it, we look at um, the Wolverine, and then before that, we have X-Men Origins Wolverine, which are both... They're both subpar when you can compare it to what we're talking about now. And if in X-Men Origins Wolverine, you actually have Ryan Reynolds playing a mute Deadpool, which makes terribly little sense when you consider who Deadpool is in the in the source material. But so they those were kind of false starts, I guess, maybe. And I think of that as, you know, I, the reason why I asked the difference between Marvel and Fox here is because it feels as if, if they are separate, which they might not be anymore because we do have the big Marvel reel before these movies now. But if they are separate, they are creating somewhat of a subtle difference in what I just called the mutant cinematic universe from the Marvel cinematic universe. You know, we have the two Quicksilvers in the X-Men story versus the Avengers story, who he died in Age of Ultron. But those kind of subtle parallel storytelling instances makes for an interesting conversation. I like the the idea of calling this a do-over because I think they're doing it right now. And they used some of the, you know, they used Ryan Reynolds for the new Deadpool. They, you, they're they staying with Hugh Jackman, at least up until this point, for Logan. Um, and I'm comfortable with that. I think I'm I'm happy with their creative direction here. I just was, that was an interesting point. I, I don't know the, the detail of the IP. Do any of you guys know? I, I don't know, but what I sort of draw the parallel to is you can look at the Wolverine as a standalone because it's not directly tied to any cinematic universe. You don't have any connection to any other Marvel characters that we see in either the Marvel cinematic universe or that were existing in the Fox universe. It's really a truly standalone Wolverine movie, which, you know, I think in comic books, often you'll, you'll get those, you'll get a, you know, a spinoff or you'll get a side story. I mean, there's so many different, you know, universes and timelines and and everything else that I, I don't, necessarily think of Logan as a reboot. I think of the Wolverine as its own separate standalone Wolverine story. This, I can see some possible connections to the sort of rebooted Marvel, uh, X-Men, whatever we want to call it, where they started with X-Men First Class, and then we ended up with Days of Future Past, where we had you know Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier and, and things going on, and we do have references to an event that happened that you know, and the X Men and mutants seem to have disappeared. So it, it's possible to tie into that universe. But I, I'm going to push back on on reboot and just say we're at a point I think where we can have multiple stories about characters, just as readers are familiar with. Well, I can pick up this Iron Man comic book or this Wolverine, and I've also got this X Men story, and I don't have to you know think through and reconcile. Well, where does this fall in reference to the others, and does this information contradict the other? I can accept this as a story that's being told as is and and go with it and if there are allusions to or references to other materials such as here where they talk about the statue of liberty which we know was in the first x-men movie from what 15 or so years ago those that know that can connect to that uh just as in a comic book if you're familiar with some of those storylines uh it can enhance the story but i i don't think it's necessary so i i feel that i can look at the wolverine as a standalone i can look at this and 
any connections it may have to any other existing Marvel films and appreciate that. But I can also just accept this as a truly powerful story about these characters. I, I think, yeah. And, and I, you know, I don't want to belabor that point either, but I, I, you know, I, I did speak incorrectly. I say Marvel and I say it a little bit flippantly, but you can't dismiss the fact that Marvel as a production house has done it right in so many ways. And, that there is, I, I have a very hard time believing that these X Men movies aren't directly influenced by the success and the strategy uh, behind uh, what Marvel has done. In fact, you end up looking at, at just look at Lauren Schuler Donner's uh, cr- upcoming credits, uh, and we've got after Logan, X Men Supernova, X Men The New Mutants, X Force, Untitled X Men Project, Gambit, Constantine Two, and Deadpool Two. Um, I mean, these these are this this is the playbook the marvel playbook and and they are doing it uh at a speed sort of a frenetic pace but largely to capitalize i think on on just the the momentum of being able to test these characters in different waters and and i think that's something that marvel has done uh very well and i think they're you know they have learned yeah or are learning yeah my my understanding is the the history behind it is you know back in the day before you know marvel was marvel um, they licensed out X-Men properties to Fox and Spider-Man out to Sony. And so there's no creative overlap. Fox owns everything X-Men related. That's why we, we get to see all these spinoffs and even FX's show on Legion is, is a Fox production. But, but Marvel, which is now owned by Disney, has no creative control over that. Sony did, after being unable to, to make a good Spider-Man film... Um, they did relinquish some creative control back over to Kevin Feige's Marvel division with Spider-Man. So Spider-Man Homecoming is a joint production between Disney and Sony. Uh, That's why we got Spider-Man in the in the uh, the latest. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's also why, you, you know, I, I, I'm glad they, they weren't able to do this. But, you know, the old man Logan story involves, you know, Hulk, uh, Hawkeye. Um, you know, all these other Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, Mysterio, the Spider-Man villain is a major part of the, uh, of the storyline. So, so you, you don't, you won't see, you know, they don't say mutants in Avengers uh, properties or on uh, uh, agents of shield, the TV show, you know, they can't use the word mutants. So they use in humans. And so that, so, so there's not that crossover, but I think what Fox learned and, and it was a hard lesson because you know, going back to the stuff that that uh, Ryan Reynolds had to do to get Deadpool made, I mean, it, it it cost nothing. He had to really lobby for it. They had to leak test footage online to get fans into it, and, and it it really took a lot for Fox to learn. Like, oh, we don't just have to make another Brian Singer movie. We can kind of expand and and do everything else. And I think in the same year they learned. Uh, Deadpool being a hit and X-Men Apocalypse being not so big of a hit, I, I think we'll now see them take a lot more risks with the X-Men property, which I'm really excited about. What is it, Darnell? Do you know what the what the story is between the their frequency rights? I mean, don't they have to put out an X-Men movie every certain number of years in order to maintain that relationship? Yes, I don't know the the I don't know the the time limit. It is every three or four years, and I think it's the same with Sony had to do the same with Spider-Man. If you don't put out a property, if you don't put something new out after a certain amount of years, the rights revert back to Marvel. 
which I think was, I think the change for that is it was, it used to, these leases on characters used to be much longer. And what is, what, why we end up getting sort of shoveled these properties is because of the unique relationship from Marvel where they guaranteed like three or four years right. uh, in between films. So you just have to always be making a movie or we get it back. That's why we got Andrew Garfield Spider-Man was, was yeah. uh, Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire. That fourth one fell apart and they were like, we got to make something. Yeah. And that's what they made. Well, and I think it's interesting that you that you talk about the 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 switch, or at least the choosing picking a lane for for this side of of the comic book universe to say, you know, you weigh the difference between Deadpool and X Men Apocalypse, and you see that this is the way we can differentiate ourselves now. So let's go this route. I think that's great, and I think that it's interesting too to consider the fact that James Mangold has been a part of both what we you know what we're deciding or what we're saying is now a standalone film in the Wolverine because it's not necessarily attached and now this which is that lane and is that new sort of success that they're going and i think i think it's interesting to show the differences in that and i think he did some pretty amazing stuff in this so um talking about you know the first shot last shot i don't know that they're connected in particular but um but i think this came from steve right it's logan in the limo and then to the last shot of the x is that right first shot is is sort of tricky because we all got sort of fooled at the beginning of this movie because when I thought it was starting uh, we got a little <laughs> Deadpool, Deadpool thing at the beginning which uh, in retrospect I think was the wisest choice because to have that play at the end of this movie would just completely undermine the emotional uh, sto- story we went through so uh, yeah as I recall I think it's him sleeping in the limo because that first scene is him when the guys are trying to you know basically steal the wheels off the the car he's driving um and it, i think you know thematically something to look at is you know the limo as sort of a hearse type capsule you know possibly of you know he's a loner out on his own sort of confined and isolated and that's sort of where we leave him at the end i think it's yeah i mean it's reinforced by the powerful image of um, you know, Laura taking the cross out of the grave and then tilting it outside to make an X uh, to, you know, state that, you know, he he is an X-Men. Um, so I think there's, you know, sort of his uh, the, the, the arc that he takes is going from, you know, isolation and denial. I mean, he was always sort of in that place, but even now more so he's in complete isolation. There's there's no one left I mean, even the the mutants are gone as far as he knows, except for he and Charles. So it's going from complete isolation and being a loner to, you know, now finding a place amongst sort of the the heritage of what will be the next generation, the new generation of mutants that we see through this story and, and the place that his story holds now is almost the foundation of that as, you know, the genetic forefather to, to some of them and also i think as a spiritual leader for them that uh he holds an important place and to me that was really the the resonance of the story for logan was to go from you know i'm i'm just this old guy sort of grinding away at his job trying to save up some money to go retire which i think is for me you know when the first x-men movie came out you know being in your you know early 30s to now you know, nearly, you know, 16 or so years later, you know, getting older, getting close to 50 and, you know, your life is in a different place to, to relate to Logan as the guy who's just like, I'm, I'm just getting through, I'm getting through a paycheck to, to, you know, save up some money to then just get out of here and to be in that place, just to identify with that. And then to be confronted with, 
for lack of a better parallel, I look at these sort of new mutants almost as like the millennials, the next generation coming up that, um, that, you know, Gen X itself sort of has to deal with and cope huh. with. And- well, skewering, <laughs> skewering that shopkeeper, Steve, that's such a millennial yes. move. Like, yeah. really? You know, so it's... Yeah. <laughs> Just yes, exactly. Things. But to, yeah, so it's it's an it's, yeah. to me it's an interesting journey for him, and I think the first shot last yet captures that of you know really being alone and having to fend for yourself to now being you know sort of celebrated in a certain way because all those kids look up to him, um, you know, and, and the sacrifice that he makes for them of being willing to to make that decision from going from the place of. I don't want to have anything to do with any of this. I don't want to have anything to do with this kid. I just got to get Charles, get the money, get on the boat, and then I don't have to deal with anything to putting his life on the line for that group of kids down at the border is just, you know, the transformation of that character. I mean, it's, it's for me, it was, I went back to look at who wrote the story and to see Scott Frank being involved in the story, but also knowing that he was involved with the Wolverine. And as I recall, we loved the first half of that movie, which seemed really, you know, character driven piece. And I think it fell apart at the end, but here it was allowed to carry through, you know, and you know, we, the, the title says it all. I mean, it's the Wolverine versus Logan. I mean, it's, it's the personal story of, I think the Wolverine was, yeah, about the persona of the Wolverine here. It's about Logan, the man and what he goes through. We see him, and he's already this sort of Lazarus man. He's dead yeah. in spirit. You know, he's he's driving an Uber limo, drinking. <laughs> he, he, it would he be Uber. <laughs> yeah, and he and he doesn't he doesn't care the first thing about uh, heroics right. or anything. All his friends are dead. All he's waiting to do, which all all these good types of movies like Unforgiven, these these type of movies. Uh, you know, it, it's basically someone who's dead in spirit who needs one last thing to actually physically die. And and I, I think there's a neat parallel with that. I also thought there was a neat parallel between where he is here and where he is uh, in the first X-Men movie. And, you know, uh, Xavier mentions it. You know, I met you. You were doing cage fights. And he was in the same sort of place where he's like, I don't want to be a hero. I, I'm all messed up. And he was forced to save a group of kids from from bad guys. And so it was really neat to see him do it that one last time. Um, and there was something, I, I again, I cried at the end, I'm going to admit. And, and you know, me and that 11-year-old girl, when, she, when Laura tilted that over to the X, it sort of signified... You know, the the last X-Men was dying, the death of the X-Men, kind of the grave for the entire group. Uh, And then to see that little boy who was standing with them, he's holding the little Wolverine doll. And it was just like, this is this is the death of an era and not just the death of a single man. And I really like that. I'm almost I'm almost like, you know, I'm good without any more X-Men movies. (laughs) <laughs> just for that sorry man no <laughs> yeah that's you know, not gonna happen well, there are a couple a, a couple of points the first one is uh, just latching onto the symbol right uh, you know this is this is a franchise that has dealt with um you know man's comparison to gods right these are these are characters that have often been compared to sort of god uh walking uh in in flesh because of their unique powers and i think the the symbol turn at the end is all that much more powerful what is it that we worship 
in this context when you take the cross and you dismantle it in favor of this um, sort of manufactured symbol uh, of Ooh, of these I love it. Uh, uh, right yeah. of these uh, gods walking. Um, so yeah. that that was one that I really latched onto uh, and and found very powerful. Posed a very powerful question for me. But the other, to your point, Darnell, I think this is the first major death of a major character that we have yet seen, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is the longest-running yes. sort of universe character that we've ever had, uh, starting with the, with his appearance in 2000, and to see him die both as a character in this film, but also as Hugh Jackman portraying him, right. I, I, you know, I think that is also a particularly powerful transition. I wonder, you know, we already know that... Um, Xavier is coming back in the form of James McAvoy in upcoming X-Men, the New Mutants, etc. Right, right. But I don't think we're going to get a a younger Wolverine again. I hope that we don't. I feel like we need we need this to to pass and and move on to this next generation. It'll make it that much better. I I don't want to see a young Han Solo version of young Wolverine. I I don't need that. So right. um, Well, that that I found was very interesting that you say that. Yeah, and it, I mean, I think we're all generally accepting right now that this is the end for Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart in the franchise, but I don't know, I mean, they're leaving, because this is possible alternative universe timeline, they are leaving that door open, and I still remember when when Wolverine first showed his head in X-Men Days of Futures Past, that was such a great surprise to have him show up there, so I think they're probably still holding on to th- you know, their cards a little bit with that, especially because there's been a whole lot of interaction between Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds in uh, in terms of potential uh, love bro fest in the Deadpool stuff. So I think it still could happen, but it, it, it's it's interesting. I think they have created a very nice poem for those two guys with this franchise, if this is there. And oh, and I also want to say, I am very comfortable with Wolverine being the avatar for Generation X. We glossed over that point, but um, if Generation <laughs> X is dying with this movie, if if Wolverine is our avatar, <laughs> yeah, me uh, as a comic book we'll fanboy, I'm like, yep, I'll take <laughs> yep. it. That's perfect for me. That's exactly so uh, reluctant to serve, a little cynical. Yeah. Yeah, hard to knock down. Everybody loves him, but he's tossed to the side. Weirdly manicured facial hair, totally Gen X. Totally Gen X. Yep, that's us. Um, So Hugh Jackman, in particular, let's talk about him. So I, in with his performance here, I I actually didn't realize how great. I didn't think he was doing anything spectacular until X twenty four came out, and then I was like, oh yeah, he's not a rickety old guy. He's acting, and I think he actually did a really spectacular job with what he brought to this movie. Yes, I, I agree. I, I think he, this film coming out so early, there's part of me that's like, oh, he's, this was an Oscar caliber performance from him because he's played a, uh, this character so many times. And this time he played him so differently and so broken and uh, so expressive. I think what really got me was the some of the stuff in the third act, uh, his interactions with Laura and his sort of admitting um, that he wanted to end his life. And he's over and just him playing those emotions with so few words and, and really all over his face. He, he just, it really reminded me of, um, you know, Jeff Bridges in uh, um, what is that? Walk the line. No, not walk the line. Um, 
I can't think of Wild Heart. Crazy yeah. Wild and Heart. Yeah. Wild and Heart. Crazy, crazy Heart. Yeah. It were, crazy Heart. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of reminded me of here's someone who's lived a life. And I thought it was an Oscar worthy, you know, at least for a nomination type thing. I would I would love for that to happen. He and Patrick Stewart to both be nominated, but I, I don't think that's gonna happen just because it's a comic book movie is coming out in early March, you know. But who knows? Uh Mad Max made the distance so well that's a good point yeah i you know i i really enjoyed him and it, it reminded me of why i like him so much in um, you know in in other movies that don't involve wolverine you know i mean prisoners and <laughs> uh um you know it, i think he he does some fantastically interesting things when he's not in wolverine makeup though he you know largely owes his success to his his role at, in wolverine i think he's a really interesting actor and that's another reason i think it's it'd be great to see him not do any more of this kind of stuff um but I, i'm totally with you on fighting himself i thought that was the pivot for me too uh when when you get to see him young him uh as well as the 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 old man i thought he was just great yeah it he's been in 11 from this is a quick count just from running through imdb he's been in 11 different x movies as wolverine wow over is, over 17 years that is stunning to think about yeah that they're, wow. they're, it, there's and and interestingly enough there's a, a a game that i've played once where uh trying to find actors I think they were all actors that had that had participated fully in two different trilogies. And <laughs> you could argue that within those 11 movies, there may be at least two different trilogies just as him being that one character, right. which I think is, I, I just think it's, uh, it's fantastic. It's really neat to see him embody the character like that. Uh, Patrick Stewart, I thought throughout the film, he was the real star. What he was doing was spectacular especially this he brought an interesting drama to his role as being completely uh, incapable of doing anything and he also brought comic relief to what he was doing he he gave us a different tone uh, and i thought that was fantastic yeah you know i i really liked um with both these characters i think part of the, the richness of their performances is seeing them and play these characters so many times and it's neat to see this version of Professor X not only kind of broken and senile, but he's sort of, he lost. I mean, he lost, he's haunted by uh, this tragedy that that we don't know the details of, but we know he's done something horrific and, and basically destroyed his entire uh, X-Men enterprise, you know. And so it's, it's neat seeing him play that. But then also trying to be the hopeful Professor X that we know. You know, he's the one, he befriends Laura. He convinces Logan that to go on this uh, the, this road trip. And even when he knows it will bring certain death at their door, he wants to just enjoy this quiet uh, uh, dinner with a family. And and it, it's, it was just a fantastic performance for... You know, it's a, to juxtapose, here's two men who have lost it all, but one is completely cynical and just wants to leave and get on the boat, and the other just still wants to go at it and still wants, still believes in the world. Uh, and I, I really like the way Patrick Stewart played that. 
I think he's he, he brings his old man, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge to this role, and that's one of our, you know, family favorites. So, uh, it, you know, it, it sort of feels like, you know, every time Logan walks in, it's the ghost of Christmas past. And, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I kind of get it. And, uh, and and so it was it was old home week every time they walked into that, that uh, old. Oh, no, the, you know, the, the, when we when we first <laughs> see Charles sort of just cruising around, muttering to himself. Um, you know, and we question whether he's he's really there at all mentally, especially when Logan puts him in his bed and and he says, some, you know, you, you know, you, you don't know what you're talking about. And he says, oh, no, I, I I know you. It's just sometimes I don't recognize you to give us some insight into into his mind of that. Sometimes he's there and sometimes he's not all there. And we see that, you know, throughout and, you know, it, looking at both these characters who are being slowly eaten away from the inside, you know, with Charles, the question, you know, my daughter and I discussed is, is, is it, is it Alzheimer's? Is it something else? Is it just that his powers are waning? And we also have Logan who's, you know, his healing, you know, ability is, is greatly diminished. And there's something, you know, at his core that's also dying or rotten. So we've got two characters that are, there's something, you know, crippling them from inside that, you know, you look at their two strengths, the things that, I that were their identities. You know, Charles can't control his mind. He has these seizures that cause you know, devastating effects to people around him. And, and, you know, Logan, who relied upon his ability to heal, and, and that doesn't happen. They, they both are just, you know, sort of shadows of the people they were. And it's this, you know, one last adventure you know that that charles is is grasping onto as he he is able to locate you know laura to see that there is still some light there is still some hope for him that the the mutants could carry on whereas you know logan's questioning you know you know the the you know early days of the mutants was that they were the next evolution of of mankind and now he questions you know that there are no new mutants for the past whatever, you know, several years, you know, maybe we were a mistake. We were God's mistake. We weren't supposed to be here and we're being eliminated, you know, from them being, you know, as, as Pete said, being, you know, thought of as gods to now being these, you know, castoffs. I mean, it's a, a powerful start to the story. And I think it's, you know, the, these two, you know, I, I'm happy for this to be their last film because I don't think there is, is more that I could ask of either of them to do with these characters. They were just handed stellar scripts, you know, and arcs for these characters that I think any actor would say, I'm, I'm happy to walk away from this because it gave them a great opportunity to just probe the depths of, of these men. That, that was a that's a really interesting point, Steve. Too, and I, I one of the things that that hit me just briefly in terms of a character uh, effect, the, Wolverine's healing power has always been a thing that that he could just trust. It would just work, and therefore we just trusted it. It just worked. I loved the sequence in the bathroom when he's oh, expelling yes. the bullets from yes. his shoulder, mm-hmm. and he was grunting and forcing the bullets out like it was a muscle that he had not exercised in a long time, right? right. And, and I thought that was a really sort of subtle but powerful uh, demonstration of the frailty of uh, sort of man, right? He's coming to terms with with this that he's never had to deal with. He's always lived with pain, but he's never, you know, he's, he's still sort of come to terms now with the fact that he is broken. The one thing he's always had is his resilience. And, yeah. And he's a little less. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. 
Uh, and same with, you know, it's to Steve's point with Professor X. I mean, here's someone who's he's never, you know, he hasn't had his, his body hasn't worked properly since the Cuban Missile Crisis, if, if depending on what storyline. <laughs> yeah, but, right. you know, but it's always been about his mind and his powerful mind and for him to lose his mind and for it to cost him everything, I thought was was a great place to take the character. Like, how do you end Professor X in this um, sort of, how do you give him a, a sort of melancholy swan song? Well, he outlives all his X-Men. He doesn't uh, get what he wants. When you look at like the entirety of the arguments between uh, he and Magneto, he seems to have been wrong the entire time. You know, he seems, he's like, oh yes, we'll, uh, we just have to convince them. We just have to convince them. And, and at the end, uh, nope, the government's too scared of mutants and they, they wipe them all out. And he's, you know, the last of his kind. I thought that was just an interesting place for that character to end up. I mean, yeah. And you mentioned before with the political landscape, it's, it's an interesting question that, you know, everybody's thinking about one way or another in the drama of that the X-Men has always put on us the, yeah. the, the, the embracing or the expelling of other. Oh yeah. Um, Isn't that, that, I just think that interesting it's aspect so well. of the story as well, that it's set in 2029 and to be set in Texas along the border and the future that this film is sort of foretelling for us of, you know, as, as Logan is driving his Uber limo, you know, he's, He's got, you know, at some 20-somethings, you know, celebrating, standing outside the sunroof, USA, USA, chanting, you know, as they're yeah. driving along the, the you know, military wow. outposted border there. And, you know, the, the relations right. that we see with, you know, the, the wall down there and just, you know, looking at Oklahoma City becoming like almost a Las Vegas type to see where this film is really yeah. projecting right. where America goes. And I think that was, you know... Very interesting to look at the larger scope of the world that the story takes place in because the the villains in the film, you know, it's that transigen corporation that's basically on a on its own quest to create its own mutants, to create its own next, you know, weapon for the military to keep America safe again. Exactly. A, a corporation uh, assisted by a government to just do yes. whatever they want. Uh, <laughs> and Logan's his character. I can ignore it and just drive my Uber or uh, pay attention to these people who who are being affected by this. Yeah, it was it was neat as well. Very topical. Just the the, the entire point of the story. There's no MacGuffin. There's no big bad to kill. The entire point of the story was to help people who are persecuted get out of the United yes. States. And there's something wow. so topical about that. I I felt like it was the most on point of all the X movies since that that scene in X two where Bobby comes out to his parents. Uh, you know, I, I, they were really, as that was topical in 2003, this just felt very, yeah, for the climax well. to be a race to the border uh, at Canada, to have the kids, yeah. the kids on the run <laughs> to the border right. with the military right. there but, to stop them and yeah. to have, you know, Richard, Richard Mexican Grant kids yeah, basically yeah. saying we have to stop yeah. them before they get to the border because then they've, they've got amnesty yeah. over there it was just the Mexican kids too. The border wall is America, <laughs> dummies. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. Uh, 
Yeah, it is. But it, yeah, my first thing, the first words that came to my head was as we're making this joke and we're laughing. I, I, I want to say, well, yeah. that's too soon. No. Yeah, to right. Make those not, jokes. Yeah. It's right. not. No. It's it's actually. <laughs> we, an it's all we have left, JJ. Right. It's all uh, we have. Exactly. This is a cautionary tale. That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. I didn't even know <laughs> exactly. that before we started talking about it. Yeah. No, I don't think they knew that when they were making it. <laughs> no, I, um, or maybe they did, and that, maybe that's the point. So. Um, opposite for those two guys for you and Patrick Stewart we have uh Daphne Keene playing Laura this was her first movie oh great oh how I mean and of course she's so young I said this to Pete actually as we were walking out of the movie that uh I didn't realize how young she was until she spoke and then I was blown away by really like actually kind of I just I'll just say her performance I was I was very happy she did exactly what she was asked i feel and uh and wow i was I'm really excited for her and and what she did with this role i thought what what she did was it was a very physical performance which you don't really see child actors um child actors tend to act using uh you know just dialogue they say cute things and you know and that and that's what you get out of them but her performance was really all about a physical presence and she was feral uh, you know, and, and very dangerous. There's a time she made me at ease. It's like, oh, what's she going to do? Is she going to spring to life and, and, you know, kill a bunch of people or try and stab Logan? I thought she she was fantastic. And it was really neat to see her finally talk so late into the So I, I thought she was interesting casting because there was one point when Charles says to Logan, you know, because Logan's denying, you know, this whole like there's mutants. And he's like, well, who look at her. Who does she remind you of? And I swear, if you look at this, if you look at her and you look at Famke Jansen, who played Jean Grey, I, I, I have to I have to think yeah. there was some intentional casting for, to, to really look at the, that character, Laura, as, you know, Logan, but to see sh- shadows of his true love there in that kid i don't know maybe i'm just projecting things on there that i want to be true for this story to have some emotional resonance but when i look at pictures of those two actresses side by side i see a lot of physical similarities there their imdb photos definitely look yeah for sure. definitely <laughs> i didn't notice that so some of the other cast members too pete you mentioned something about steven merchant he was caliban I like Stephen Merchant. He's a fine and funny lad, and uh, I, I, it was delightful to see him as this, as this giant sort of wandering <laughs> albino uh, houseman. Uh, and he's uh, he has been a, a favorite of of mine as just in terms of a, a comedian. You know, he was a, a writer on The Office for many years. He's uh, he worked a lot with Ricky Gervais and and was um, uh, you know behind. Uh, life's too short, so he's he's been around for a long time. But mostly, he's he's done a um, a, a fantastic p- a podcast, which is hysterical. Uh, is the Gervais podcast, and I, I think that I, I don't know where it is now. I think for a while you had to pay for it. It was a weird kind of experiment. But his role on that show was a riot. Uh, so I, I just think he's a very funny guy. It was a treat to see him. Uh, in the show, doing something that was, you know, in the, in the vein of no small parts, like it was a, it it, it was an important role, and it absolutely gave us the uh, sort of opened the door to the relationship between Logan and, and Xavier, and I thought that it, I thought he did a, a fantastic job. It reminded me so much of Mad Max, though, you know, the way they they dressed him, just in terms of the the design of his character and he looked a little desert. like Bruce yeah. Pence, yeah, a little bit, right? Yeah, the the whole car chase there in that that compound down on the border just. 
to me was just like this whole Mad Max thing. And I, I kept that in the back of my mind to the point where when Logan gets to the Eden project there, I said, oh, please don't let this be Mad Max Thunderdome. Please let this not be Mad Max Thunderdome with the children <laughs> and the, the old man. And uh-huh. they definitely redeemed it from that. So it's interesting that you mentioned that too, because the Reavers, so Pierce and Macon and those other, the characters, the the cyborgs that are out there are originally from, from the original material. They're actually based in Australia. <laughs> so that's an interesting, oh, really? weird potential thing there yeah and the first time that the x-men meet the reavers uh they're they're in australia and they battle down there so that was that's kind of a weird thing i never thought of it as a mad max thing but there are definitely some crossovers there uh eric lasalle i thought i thought he was great i thought he was very friendly like to have his presence come in there uh as as the friendly sort of do-gooder uh what was he a corn farmer is that what he was doing there um i thought it was great and his his death, which I'll bring up, was uh, was indicative of the graphic nature of the film to me, and it 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 I would use his death as the kind of thing to say this movie is just going to throw violence and death and 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 stuff at you, and yeah, here's Eric LaSalle, and seven minutes later he's dead. So uh, I I like that, and I like that he was there and that he was a part of this movie. Yeah, you know I I. I liked I I felt like this is probably the part of the film where I, I would imagine a lot of people thinks the film you know if the movie drags and it is a little too long but I'm okay with it but this is the part of the film where everything kind of slows down and let's just have a little emotional moment um I really liked Eric LaSalle and his family and and just that as as Xavier says you know one of the best nights he's had in years and I, I I like I like when films find that that time to bring out the heart. It was that said, it was incredibly shocking to see you know, especially starting with his teenage son just getting slashed by X twenty four. Incredibly shocking to see that happen to the family, but also that's where the story was headed, and that that's the story that they're telling. So you know, I I don't know if it would be something. I would complain or want changed, but it was definitely something that was just like, Oh, this is just me. This is so well, I tragic. think the, the further tragedy is, you know, Eric LaSalle comes out to the rescue, uh, you know, at the last minute there after he's, you know, been wounded and he drives the truck and he's got a shotgun and shoots some guys. And then he points, you know, this gun at Logan and, and fires, you know, but it's empty. And there's just, I think this, this revelation you see just sort of cross Logan's face of, you know, this family that he thought, you know, that had been a safe house for them. But, you know, again, it's reaffirming there. He's an outsider. He's, he, you know, there's who should have been his savior was willing to kill him, you know, to fire at him. And I think that, you know, again, the emotional arc there, um, it, it added some depth and layers to that that I hadn't anticipated that just sort of lifted this movie above and beyond what it I, th- I think many people are expecting it to be. That was really deep, Steve, and I applaud that because all I could think of was Eric LaSalle as Daryl Jenks in Coming to America. Oh, gosh. And I found <laughs> myself so thinking, my goodness, 
Why doesn't he have the Jerry Curls? That's all I could think about. This movie would have been so much it's different. It's just because you guys just did Coming minutes. to America. That's totally right. We just did it. And Andy, uh, Andy and I didn't uh, weren't as crazy about that movie as we once were. Uh, but Eric LaSalle's Jerry Curls were uh, part was still of the, the highlight. Yeah, still a highlight. Yeah. And that holds yeah. up. <laughs> that holds up. That holds up, yes. His 80s, yeah. JJ, you didn't talk about Richard Grant. Oh, yeah. El Machina del Oro, the gold (laughs) machine. I'll torture you so long you'll think it's a career. (laughs) I will say... I like he's a good I, bad guy. I like Richard yeah. Grant, but I I don't think he read the script. I thought he was. I think he thought he was doing another Wolverine yeah. movie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yes. like he's like, oh, yes. Wolverine movie. Okay, I've seen the origins one, and he came in and <laughs> hammed it up. I was like, no, even- this isn't that. This isn't that. <laughs> <laughs> come back we're all dialing it down Richard Grant is so great and so talented and he's sort of an on off yeah. guy like right. there's, there's not a lot of gray in, in yeah. Richard Grant he is so wonderful and, and uh, so funny and I totally agree with you he's a little out I just can't talk about a movie with Richard Grant in it and not talk about my favorite film uh, uh, my favorite guilty pleasure film I should say of all time Hudson Hawk so there you go. Uh, my, that my, makes sense. I, my, yeah. my piece has been spoken. <laughs> Darnell, what did you want to say about Boyd Holbrook? Pierce. Um, I, I, lead cyborg. I, you know, I really liked him. I liked the idea of the Reavers, these people who augment themselves. Um, it's It would be hard to pull off what could... I felt like he did a good job of doing what could have been a very generic villain. Um, I thought... You know, he was the right amount of just sort of douchey and like he made <laughs> he made his entire crew just so every time X-23, I'm sorry, Laura or uh, Logan, like sliced up his men. You're just like, yeah, you guys are jerks. And I think I, 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 I don't I've never seen him in anything before, but I just really liked his just his swagger. And like, I don't know, I thought he played it neat and, and in a less in the hands of a lesser actor. That would have been a very dull this, uh, villain, which is, you know, the biggest problem in these superhero movies are, are usually bad villains. Well, it was an interesting foil, too, to the Wolverine because, uh, you know, he wasn't scared. Right. And, and that, right. yet again, is uh, is another element that, that sort of demonstrates the frailty of Wolverine. The, the reason why I didn't think of remarking about him is because I didn't really get the I didn't wasn't able to take that leap with it. So he wasn't scared and I didn't understand why he wasn't scared because he didn't other than his confidence being sort of embodied in the role. Um, the, the character didn't really have uh, power, didn't have an ability to be that. Um, and it, it seemed like the power that he should have or the confidence that he should have would be from his crew. And his crew is regularly getting disemboweled mm-hmm. throughout this film. <laughs> Constantly. Yeah. Yeah, like He should have some measure of what the heck am I going to do when I get on the face here. But no, he just keeps making I, cyborgs, I guess. I, but, I thought yeah. some so, of it was from, I thought it was a little bit of hubris. Yes. I mean, he made a yes. couple of comments about you know, it's almost like he grew up post mutants. So right. it's almost like, uh, sorry to make it topical and political again, but in today's world, how younger people maybe don't quite understand the threat of Russia. And it's just like, oh, you don't remember sure. the Cold War. That's adorable. And it, right. he's sort of that, I don't know, he seemed like that person who's like, I'm not scared of mutants because I don't remember that time Magneto destroyed the 
the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. I, I that was before I was born. All I know is I help kill mutants and I'm I'm wicked. So the, I'm a winner. The interesting yeah. thing about right. the character of Pierce, and it's I I don't I'm I'm making big leaps here. Probably is that you know so when they're in Oklahoma City, you know um, Charles and Laura are watching the movie Shane, and I think that's an important sort of tie-in to this movie because I think. I, I have to admit, I haven't seen Shane. I'm familiar with the story. But when you see that this footage they're showing from Shane shows a scene where he's he's got a shootout with a villain played by Jack Palance who has got a black glove on his right hand, which is a you know very noticeable you know costuming choice. You've got this black hand wielding a gun. And you look at Pierce, and it's his right hand that is his mechanical hand that's almost... You know, it's a grayish metal. So I see some parallels there visually that I think that that I'm assuming they were they were making in terms of Shane, you know, sort of the the loner outside gunman coming in to help the town, facing down the, you know, the villain with the black hand and the same thing happening here with Logan. So it's something that I just thought is sort of one of those symbolic or thematic, you know, echoes across the films that I thought was an interesting choice. And I have to say it's the coolest hand ever because his fingers flex backwards as well. That was the best. Yeah, that was cool. It's pretty rad. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And his soft yes. touch fingertips. <laughs> oh. You wow, could, like, how else, you, how else are you going to log into your iPhone? <laughs> <laughs> they had little fingerprints on them. That was yeah, great. Right. That's true. Yeah, you got to flip, flip, flip pages of a book with those fingers. <laughs> That's right. Lick your robot finger. Lick, don't lick the, the robot fingers. You don't want your tongue stuck in the gear of your pinky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of jumps us up to uh, to effects. It, 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 if we talk about that as being some of the the stuff that you know they were making us, they're having us see what we were doing there. I think we talked mostly about uh, the makeup as being a big thing that was effect when Wolverine when Logan was on the operating table. Or laying down and seeing his gored body, mm-hmm. I thought that was really spectacular effects. Yeah, that re- really spectacular makeup. That reminded me of an American Werewolf yes. in London, uh, like classic Rick Baker oh, yeah. stuff. That was really well done. I think the only I think they shouldn't have had him. I think they shouldn't have had him move on the table because I thought it looked so good yes. until he moved. Yes, I agree. and then he bent nah. his body in yeah. kind of a funny way, and you're like, oh, yeah. that's a that's yeah, I get it. <laughs> Fake, right. no, there was a lot of it. little scarring on his face too. I mean, a lot of just subtle, you know, you know, scarring. You know, making. I mean, he looked really weather beaten. And I think in terms of the makeup, yeah, you've got the, you know, the 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 money shot of the the gourd torso, but I think it's just the little detail work as well. Even little things that I noticed that I thought his in the first half, it's like his eyes always look like they're bloodshot. You know, it's just you know, those right. little yeah. things Always. that it's just it just adds to the, you know, cloudy eyes, bloodshot, you know, little, you know, spidery scars all across his face, neck and torso. Just, you know, such fine detail work that I think just added to that. He's so grizzled and just, you know, which was funny because uh, during the previews or, you know, pre-show stuff, there was like, you know, advertisements and you know, our theater shows like interviews with you know promotional stuff and there's an interview with Hugh Jackman and my daughter looks at me and she says he doesn't look as old as he looks in the trailer he doesn't look that old I'm like that's you know that's the makeup there <laughs> exactly. you know, that's the whole idea of he's yeah. he's worn out he's he's done and I think the the makeup really conveyed that what was neat too is is, is when he took the super oh, drug yeah. at the end um those those blemishes went away those yeah. like bullet scars and stuff like that 
Uh, that was a neat little detail too. I, I loved the uh, I loved the breaking of the mechanics of the oh, blades. I, I, I found myself really fixating when he was pulling oh, the blade yeah. out and pushing it around. That yeah. was yeah. great. Yeah, that feels. I mean, that's very practical with everything. So I, I was going to mention the cinematography before. Um, I was actually really impressed with the motion control work, um, especially during the escape from the compound. Where uh, you were doing a lot of fishtailing with the oh, Uber yeah. truck, oh, okay. yeah. and that whole scene. So you've had there were some of my favorite shots of the film were when we were watching the vehicle from behind, mm-hmm. and the camera is panning left, but uh, well, it's actually panning right as the dolly moves left, and so you get this sort of. Uh, w- Odd weightless feeling as you see the 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 car fishtail in front of you, and you're going contrary to the motion that you're in. I, I like that kind of stuff, and you don't really see that a whole lot. That at least that I'm familiar with, because a lot of times people don't want to go contrary with the pan and the motion. So I was happy that they did that. As far as and and in the other in the fight scenes, um, when I was in the theater, I thought it was kind of kind of. Uh, creaky. I don't know. I I I was worried that the, some of the stuff felt sped up or a little weird, especially the kids doing their fighting. But it, when I think about it in review, I think it was really great. It it felt kind of raw to me. Well, that's the part that I had a little bit of trouble with. I, I and and I think it's it's not because that sequence didn't you know do well for me, right? In terms of just a straight up action sequence. Um, but it felt just such, like such a tonal shift. All the kids running through the woods, like the great sort of hunt. It it felt like a uh, like a James Patterson thing, you know. And and I I I didn't quite. I just felt like I lost the thread of the of the rest of the film. And that's what I mean. Like the the second the first and second acts are such isolationist stories. You know what I mean? It's such mm-hmm. about here are these guys. They're alone in the world, and uh, I I feel like there is. The third act is about the redemption and finding the next generation, and it's all great. But there was there were so many of them and so much of it, and I was totally okay with it just being about the girl. Uh, and and so I, I I wasn't crazy once they found the kids in the fire watchtower. I, I I just I, I I sort of lost the lost the thread a little bit of what I felt made the first two acts so special. Yeah, and from a uh, an effects standpoint, having that many. Mutant powers from from a movie where really the only effects of uh, visual effects you're really seeing are you know blades coming out of their hands. Seeing these mutant powers kind of manifest is like oh okay we're 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 back a little bit with you know fake vines and uh, the one that froze off the guy's arm and it was just like oh okay we're in an X Men movie. Oh, where, although I have to say that that vine one, I have a particular soft spot for. I, I that's that's one of my very favorites. As far as the the, the way to take someone out, like well, it's just death. really. I I find myself <laughs> damn terrified about it. Like I've done photo shoots <laughs> where I've shot people that are get, having vines creeped in their skin, and it's oh. I find it so terrifying that I have to fixate on it, or else I will nightmare oh. on it uh, over and over. That is so scary to me. And I'm sure that was a really fine line for them to walk about the idea of having all these young mutants together and what do we do with them? We, you know, leading up to the fight, I was thinking they've only shown us the ice girl's power 
and the lizard boys, you know, look. They haven't shown us anything else. And for a while in that fight, I thought that's all we were going to get because they were going to stay too uh, true to those first two acts in what the movie was. I think that's a really, and for me, I was hoping to see more, but I totally get the feeling of yeah, maybe we shouldn't, you know, maybe we should hold off and, and save that for the X-Force movie that's coming down the line. So that's that's interesting. Uh, it, any other production stuff that you guys want to talk about? Anything post-production that's... Uh, that's interesting to you uh i thought the score was really neat um uh, you know it was it it was uh a little bit of mix of western but then it had some sort of crazy notes to it during some of the action scenes it was supposed to be cliff martinez um who did you know drive and, and solaris two of my favorite scores so i was kind of looking forward to his work but i really like um, the, the final work in that it was, it was it was pretty good, pretty unique. The person listed on uh, IMDb is Marco Beltrami. Yes, and and I've I looked at some of his other films that he's scored, and nothing that really wowed me. But I've been listening to his score for Logan today, and it it just really captured for me the tone of the and the mood and atmosphere of the film really well. And I think it's it's like it, it was supported by the visuals, it's supported by the story. It's a nice compliment that it just really melded well together and then to have i think that you know johnny cash song during the end credits was uh yeah just it just just really finished everything off really well yeah and one thing i'll say about marco is he also did do the score for the wolverine so i think it's interesting we look at you know the way that we've kind of positioned this movie in, in getting it made and what it means with having this whole group that really worked on the Wolverine and whether it was standalone or not, um, it kind of feels like they let them pull their shackles off a little bit coming here and 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 make it in an artful way that's different from what we're used to seeing in comic book movies because a lot of the people are still involved. So it, as good or bad as we feel about the Wolverine from the different things that were there, uh, there was more that they had to do. And I think I think they brought it in a very serious way to this mm-hmm. movie. I don't think we Absolutely. can underscore uh, you know the the role that Beltrami has had. To, I mean look at the 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 films that he has done that uh, uh the franchises that he is a regular part of, right? Die Hard, he did 310 to Yuma, he did I mean talk about a sort of a western vibe. Uh but um he's he's done I think all the screams, the thing, um World War Z, Snowpiercer. We've talked about him on this show a number of times and so, you know, he's he's a he's a regular and uh and, and I'm I'm with you Steve too. I I have, have I haven't listened to the whole thing all the way through yet, but I poked around at it earlier and I think it's a I think it's great. the The thing I worry about, I didn't remember the score when I walked out of the out of the theater, and I think that's a, um, you know, it's kind of a perennial challenge these days. But um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a mi- great. It's score. missing a hummable theme. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. There were some neat Easter eggs too. I noticed in the beginning. Um, I noticed uh, Wolverine's uh, his katana sword from the Wolverine yes. from Japan yeah. sitting there collecting dust, and I thought I saw. I don't know if you guys saw a copy of the Once and Future King. Um, sitting oh. next to Xavier's um, plants, I, I, I thought I might have I thought I saw that. Oh, now I'm going to see the movie again. Yeah, but uh, but the, there's there were neat connections. I, I thought with that the there I know there are Easter, more Easter eggs that I was not aware of, but uh, I, I felt like the Deadpool thing in the beginning was so full of Easter eggs. If you'd have removed them, <laughs> it would not have existed. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, right. And the coming soon Nathan Summers is the one that I talk about the most because that's a big character. In yeah. The, in in the world that they're going to, it's a character called Cable, who's also cloned into a uh, Cable's a good guy kind of, right. and he's cloned into a bad guy named Strife, and uh, you know the next kind of what we're doing is moving into New Mutants, X Force, all that stuff coming up. That's where they're going with this. So the deep really cut to see that, yeah, yeah, the deep cut. Uh, numbers, it, did, Pete, did you put these down here? The Fox Guidance for I, the weekend. I is did. That, is that from you? I did. I was trying to do my part, see? man. Andy's gone. Thank I got to step up. No, I, you know what, right. what What I know, and, and Andy's so much better at this, so, uh, you know, grain of salt. What I have heard is that Fox guidance for the weekend was 60 million. Box Office Mojo predicts 74 million by end of day Sunday, putting it in number one position for the weekend. Box Office takes, and, and number one for weekend box office takes in 2017 so far. So probably short-lived, but uh, a strong showing. In terms of X-Men openings, this would put Logan at number five. Uh, over the last 18 years. Uh, budget, I read the budget was 97. I think, uh, uh, JJ, you pulled out 127 from IMDb. This was Variety reporting 97. I assume the gap is in prints and advertising. There's a lot I think we don't know right now. So um, uh, about the, just in terms of the budget, and I don't run Andy's spreadsheet, so I'm not even going to try to give you adjusted profit per finished minute <laughs> on this film. Well, and when you first, you know, when I saw that it was Logan was number five, I thought that was a that felt like a low number considering what we're doing here but when you consider how many x movies they are we talked about 11 yeah. that were listed that's actually pretty pretty good yeah. for a, a, a really good setup for logan so yeah I have, I have a useless number this is already number 40 in the imdb top 250 oh, oh so pointless number but people are loving it people are <laughs> loving it that's the important people are loving it yeah, and I think that there's something like a 95% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. which is super high, too. So, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. I assume because Tommy's not with us today that none of you guys wrote a song for Flick Chart today. I heard Darnell did, and he's going to sing it right now. Oh. Ooh. Uh, oof, no. nope. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, new kid. I, I was gonna, I was gonna try. I had something coming, and then there was like nothing. <laughs> nothing. I jinxed it. Yeah, nothing. Logan. I'm excited. Yep, there we go. <laughs> That actually sounded like a Western. <laughs> um, our uh, Flickchart is the, our spe- place for our special stack rankings for the film board, and you can find it at flickchart.com slash TNRfilmboard. Check it out to see where your preferences match or veer from ours and start your own ranked list today. One of the interesting things that I found, another kind of random number, is there's a site called comicbook.com, and they have comic book composite ra- rankings, which are generally what people find about these comic book movies. There's more than 100 f- films there. Logan is currently number two. Whoa. on that list behind the dark night. Wow. So I'm excited to see where it ends for us. Pete, do you have the keys to the kingdom? I on do. This right I now? have broken into Excellent. Andy's house and I'm ready to go. Number one, let's uh, here we go. Logan versus the Hobbit, the desolation of Smaug. Logan. <laughs> Logan. <laughs> and Logan for me. <laughs> How about Logan versus Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? I stay with Logan. Same, Logan. Yeah, yeah, Logan. Yeah, hands down, Logan. How about, oh, here you go, gentlemen, Logan versus Guardians of the Galaxy. Ooh. I'm going to say no. Guardians. No, 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 come on. Guardians has no weight. Yes, it's fluffy fun, <laughs> but if you, uh, I'm sorry, to me, I will always 
side with yes, Guardians is light, but it's it's empty calories. It's a candy bar. Logan is something that you're going to sit down, you're going to watch it again, and you're just gonna. It's going to give you something to think about. It's going to give you something to resonate with those characters. It's going to sit with you and not let go of you for quite some time. I, I cried for Groot too. And I will say uh, that uh, that Ooh, it's, it's literally the gore, the gore in in Logan that pulls me out of it for this one. In in this comparison, I think they do more with less in Guardians. Wow, this is a really hard one because Guardians is a movie I've seen several times. I would got I I gotta go Logan. This is the culmination of 18, 17, 18 years of X Men storytelling, uh, and it couldn't have gone better for me. I'm. Yeah, it's too long. There's little issues, but wow, I, I got to go, Logan. Yeah, I, I almost feel like this is what, what is the Academy Award for? Like you stuck it out the longest. A character Lifetime Achievement Award for Wolverine. Yeah, Lifetime yeah. Achievement Award. There, there you <laughs> yeah, go. You, this you, is the Lifetime won, Achievement Award. Yeah, Logan. we should have won several times, yeah. but we gave it to Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I am going to I'm going to go with Logan as well, and that takes us to Logan versus. Oh, Kingsman, the Secret Service. Oh, boy. Kingsman. No, 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 no. Because again, I, I, yes, Kingsman was enjoyable, fun. But again, I think it's, it's lighter. And to me, this one sits heavier. And I will always take that over, over the light fun. And yeah, Kingsman, yes, gory, violent, good time, but. The story that to me it speaks to generations. Gen X, this is your story. Nice. <laughs> Steve, I'm looking for light. Yeah, you're not going to find it here. Come okay. on, this is yeah. 2017. Come on, look at what we've done so far. What have we done? We did split. We did what? It's a dark. Get out. Get out. This. It's a dark, heavy year. Yeah. You're you're getting nice. no relief, Justin. Yeah. No relief. Uh, I'm trying. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta go. Right. I gotta go, Logan. I I love Kingsman, but I gotta go, Logan. I am also Please. Logan. Wow, I know, right. right? I I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit surprised on that too. That takes us to Logan versus Gravity. Oh, whoa, Gravity. Uh, Logan, e- easy Logan. Uh, it, gravity. I, I if you're not watching it in the theater in 3D, uh, uh, grab. Uh, that I gotta was go exactly Logan. my experience. I watched it again not long ago, and it did not uh, have Whoa. that same. Dare I say? Yeah, I haven't had that experience. <laughs> gravity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm on board with Logan. Wow. This yeah, is, it's this is it's big, a powerful guys. story. Oh, you guys, Logan. Oh, no. <laughs> oh yeah. Or Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Force Awakens. Force Awakens. Logan. <laughs> really? Wow. Only because only because wow. Force Awakens. I like the characters, but that is a remake of A New Hope, and it cannot be forgiven. For oh no, it's it's okay. Uh, no, it's it's Spite. Star Wars: The Force Awakens. There's there was there was such jo- okay. okay, JJ. There's your light, and it's the it's it's the last dying <laughs> light of 2016. Or was that 2015? That was 2015, sorry. That was 2015. The last glowing light in my heart for The Force Awakens. Due to the nature of Flickchart, as we have discovered time and time again, because we don't get to rank against every movie in the list, it tends to jump in in, uh, a a bit of a, uh, maybe a haphazard fashion. So right now, well, let me just ask you, before I tell you where it landed, 
What would you say if I said Logan versus Edge of Tomorrow? Oh. This is just a thought of a thought experiment. Just Oof. a thought experiment. Edge of Tomorrow. No, I'll 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 take Logan. I'll, I'll take a good old old standby I, I, Western. You know, I I'd probably yeah I'd probably take Logan too. This is hard. These oh, are yeah, all no, great it's, movies, yeah, but it's we're it's nitpicking I, at this point. Except for well, Desolation of Smog. Yeah. <laughs> that was the easy one. I, I'm with you guys. I think I'm leaning toward Logan. I don't know if that's because it's wow. it's fresh and I really enjoyed it uh, You know, right right now this weekend. That feels legit to me. I'm glad it, it landed that way because Logan skipped Edge of Tomorrow in order to jump over gravity to land at number two yeah. on our Whoa. flick chart for this board. That's right. So Star Wars Force Awakens, Logan, Gravity, Edge of Tomorrow, Kingsman, The Secret Holy Service, smoke. and Get so Out. We've, and Split. Look at so that. This three year, films. Split, Get Out, yeah. and Logan, We're three up. films, crack the top ten on our list. Oh, it's a good start. Good picks. Yeah. What this tells me is that you guys should always check, pick our editorial calendar, and I should have nothing <laughs> to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm too terrified. What is no uh, great? So uh, letterbox rankings. Uh, it, we got numbers one through five. Half numbers do count. I could go. It's a three and a half for me. Uh, it's a four and a half for Steve. Wow. Darnell, uh, Darnell says uh, four and a half as well. I say four and a half as well. That takes us to uh, a four point two five. 4.25 that's pretty solid and it, but it is interesting that this number 2 on our chart that no one was comfortable taking the leap and going to a 5 star rate ranking i i'm not trying to say anything by that i just think that's interesting that it's that high on the chart in that way 4.25 that's great so what's next we are going to go to the circle Way at the end of April. That's our next film board. Um, you know, we did back-to-back weeks this week with Get Out and then here with Logan. We've got some time before The Circle, but I, I'm really excited for this movie. Did you guys see the trailer um, at, at your yes. Logan screening? Oh, yeah, you were with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I know you did. Did you see that Steve trailer, Dunno? JJ? It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah, I didn't Yeah, I didn't see the trailer I, at all. I avoid trailers, um, but I am intrigued because it is directed by James Ponsolt, who did the spectacular now which is a tremendous film and oh, the end of the tour right. which is a, a, I think a really interesting film if you're a, a lit nerd and a fan of David Foster Wallace and the fact that I went to college in central Illinois I had a lot of connections with this but uh yeah some some pretty solid work so I'm interested to see where he goes with the circle because I am not a fan of the novel I got about halfway through and just sort of gave up on it because it was spinning its wheels so I'm Interested to see where where the film goes. Wow. Well, I've been intrigued more by the trailer. I wasn't super excited uh, uh, on the front end. I was wanted to connect this to the to the novel, but um, I the trailers are actually getting me more excited. And uh, understandably, because of who I am, I'm terrified at what it's going to reveal. Because uh, again, that's what they we're doing this this uh, this year in 2017 <laughs> yeah. for the weekly show for the mothership show. Uh, Pete, you guys just wrapped on Zhang Yimou, right? We did our Zhang. Moo series. We had our a fantastic uh, conversation on the immigrants, which was a listener's choice uh, episode. Actually, as you listen to this, that is coming this week. We're recording a whole bunch of stuff out of order because I am about to leave the country for a few weeks. Um, to but, go to the Great Wall. Uh, yeah, to go visit the Great Wall. That's right. And so uh, awesome. the, the one that we're in the middle of uh, recording right now uh, that will be going live over the month of March is our Hughes Brothers series, which has been oh, so oh. much fun. We 
got uh, Menace to Society from Hell and The Book of Eli. What a great trio of movies that that represents a, a great variety of what those guys have done. Book of Eli. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. And yeah. those come out when? When when will people be hearing that in their feeds? Oh, you know, through March. I don't know the exact nice. date. It's coming up. <laughs> All right. That's cool. great. I'll look out for those. I love Menace to Society. Oh, yeah. That was that was a, that was solid, yeah. All right, well, wrapping this up, Darnell. It's been great to have you on the show. Uh, totally fun. Uh, two very different kinds of movies. Will you come back and hang out with us again sometime soon? Absolutely. Like it's great to sit here with these two really good movies and talk to you guys about it. So I'll definitely be back, but only for a great movie. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah no, we'll be sure to get the <laughs> crappy ones next time. You've been, <laughs> no, no, no. You've been super lucky. We have I'm had other so guests lucky. on the show before that have been sitting with us with crap stuff so these movies <laughs> man did, now now darnell did you accompany tommy to see child 44 last year <laughs> no he saw that okay. by himself <laughs> so so you really I just mean, leave the you leave the junk for him and you take the quality stuff yep, okay I, i'm, I'm down with that that's yeah. good <laughs> <laughs> yeah i yeah i the only bad one was batman v superman donna justice i i had to hold his hand through that one but other, <laughs> but you know, other than that, I mean, this has been a lucky couple of weeks. Is these last between Get Out and and Logan? These have been good. I I, I swear I have more opinions than it was great. I loved it. You know, so <laughs> so I, better I, than cats. Yeah, I definitely look forward to to coming back sometime. Well, thanks, Darnell. We totally appreciate it. And Steve, great job as always, man. Thanks. Oh, thanks. It's great to be back. And Pete, we're having coffee next week. No. I won't be here next week. Are you going you will, to China? Oh, no, you will be dining alone. Uh, I meant in China. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, uh, it, it, good hanging out with you guys tonight. And thank you to you out there in the audience for indulging us with our Logan bloodlust. We love it when you hang out with us. Share us and share us again so we can make it a big movie party for everyone out there. And as we said, the film board will return in late April with The Circle. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. 
And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash Originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash Originals and get your next read today. 